If, if you're, you're still, still sitting, sitting there, I, I hope you brought your Bible, Bible with you. And you you can, can turn to Matthew chapter 18. We'll begin looking at verse 21 when we get to that part of the sermon. For the last while, when I was preaching, we looked at uh, those sins that we tolerate in our lives, the things that we uh, just respect and don't really deal with. The one today is one that um, we don't want to deal with. I call it an undervalued action, forgiveness. Before I look at the scripture itself, we're going to look at the word forgive. And we're going to look at a definition. The definition uh, does come from the scripture. But, but uh, so, so that we don't have to keep going over it when we go through the passage, we're going to look at a, the, the definition. definition. Normally, I like to put a definition in like a sentence or two. This word, it does not work that way. So you're going to see slide after slide of a definition. Because this word is something that I deal with over and over and over and over again in counseling. A lot of times I forget about preaching on it because I deal with it so often that I just figure everybody knows. And I realize that... Just, Just over, over the past, past months, months, I've had, had to deal with this subject many, many times. times. Whether it's somebody got ripped off because you lent somebody money and they didn't pay it back. Whether it's a spouse who is involved in drugs and alcohol, they're drunk or an addict, or they're unfaithful. Whether it's abuse from current or past. Whether it's lies that got a lot of horrible things happening. Whether it's prejudice, whether it's a friend, whether it's an enemy, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ or a family member, all of us deal with the need to forgive. It is absolutely one of those things that the first thing people tell me when I say you need to forgive, they go, that's not fair. And I always agree with them. Because you know what? They say, hold it a second. I'm not the one that did this. Why are you picking on me? Why are you telling me I'm the one that has to forgive them? They're the ones that did it to me. They're the ones you ought to be talking to. I said, I'll be glad to talk to them, but I'm not talking to them now. I'm talking to you. And you need to be the kind of person that God says you should be. If you're a believer and you claim Christ, you need to be a forgiving kind of person. In, In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says almost exactly the same thing. We'll look at that one a little bit later. But God tells us that because He has forgiven us, we are to be a forgiving kind of person. Let's look at what that means by way of definition. First of all, forgiveness is to wholly and without reservation cancel an obligation, grant a pardon for, or give up all claims against or toward the offense, the liability, or the account. In other words, it doesn't matter if somebody didn't pay back a loan that they had from us. Somebody purposefully sinned against us, they lied about us, or they misled us, or deceived us, or in some way they were negligent or irresponsible and harmed us. It says, if you truly forgive that person, you give up all claims against that offense. 
That's, that's pretty, pretty hard. hard. No, no, that's, that's impossible, impossible on your own. Because without knowing forgiveness ourselves, we cannot extend it to someone else. But we need to do this from the heart. With all that we are, because if we do not do that, you really have not forgiven. By the way, just a side note here, and we will talk about this subject again in the future. But people have asked me, is forgiveness always once and done, or is it a process? The answer is yes. I can, I can forgive and should forgive somebody because I made the choice to do that. that. But sometimes, something that I wasn't even thinking about comes up later. What do I do with that? I need to forgive them. Sometimes we just don't even think about the whole process and we forgive rather quickly and then we realize, boy, I'm still holding resentment in a different direction. I still haven't given up claims. We need to do that. And sometimes, unfortunately, forgiveness comes a little at a time. I don't believe it needs to be that way. Point number two for the definition. Forgiveness is the renunciation or secession of all resentment and, and I, I like this next one, when personal ill will, vengeance or anger that result as a result of a sin, perceived offense, a disagreement, a mistake, a misunderstanding, a wrongdoing, or an inappropriate behavior. Did I miss anything? That's why I'm trying not to. You might be able to find something that doesn't fit there. If you do, let me know. I'll go back to it. But notice it says, I renounce or Stop being resentful. If you are still resentful, you haven't forgiven. If you still have ill will toward that person, you haven't forgiven. If you still are looking for revenge, payback, or vengeance, you still haven't forgiven. If it's still making you angry, you haven't forgiven. Wow. If you thought this was going to be a nice sermon... Hang, Hang on, on to your seats. seats. Forgiveness, Forgiveness is giving up the personal desire and power to punish. One of the reasons people do not forgive is because they really want to get even. By the way, would you have the right to get back at them, to punish them? Well, that would seem normal to a sinful line of thinking. But the truth is... <clears throat> It's, it's a, a horrible, horrible place, place to be. be. It's a horrible way to live. But we need to cease a demand for restitution. We give up all claims against the offense or debt without any expectation of restorative justice. Here's what it comes down to. If I forgive someone, I'm expecting nothing more from them. Because I have given up my personal desire and my power to punish. Because if somebody has wronged you, our normal thing is I want to get back at them. I want to make them pay. When you forgive, you give that up. You cease demanding restoration. It's easy to see that on a loan because somebody didn't pay you back. Or, or they, they didn't return your tools. Or, or they, you name, name it, whatever it is. Or they, they drove your car and didn't fill the gas tank back up. That's, That's an easy one. one. You get, but, but if, if you've, you've forgiven, forgiven them, them, it's, it's over. over. And, and 
It, it says, says without, without an expectation of restorative justice. justice. Now, now remember, this, this is personal ill will when, when I forgive someone. someone. So, so if someone is driving drunk, hits me, hits me smashes my car to smithereens, and I'm injured uh, to, to whatever extent, I need, I need to forgive that, that person. person. But, but that, that does, does not mean the government will, will not bring, bring some kind of judgment against them. Maybe, Maybe other, other people, people will. But, but when, when it comes, comes to me, when, when I'm forgiving, I am giving up the power to punish, to, to expect something more. If I've forgiven, there may be other entities, God-given ones like government, that still have power to bring justice. Forgiveness does not minimize the impact of the offense, but it acknowledges the problem and verifies that it's real and significant. People say to me, but if I forgive them, it makes it look like what they did against me really wasn't all that. It really didn't mean that much. It really wasn't that bad. The exact opposite is true. For someone to forgive, requires, it It absolutely requires for us to see the offense for for what it really is. And And if we're even discussing it, you already know that it's bad. It had a huge impact on you. But it really does acknowledge the sin for what it is. One of the reasons that people don't forgive, and maybe you've never thought this, but it's really hard to forgive because to forgive someone, it's almost like you have to relive the event, the offense, the harm in your mind. To fully forgive someone, you have to fully acknowledge what happened. That is not fun. That is not fair that that if I'm I'm going going to forgive, I have to relive that. that. But let's face it, if if I make some blanket, I forgive you kind of thing, and and don't even think about what I'm doing, I'm not acknowledging the problem. Forgiveness is not complete in that direction. And so, forgiveness, while it's not fair, it's not easy. It's hard because it reminds us of exactly what happened. I've, I've seen, seen people, people that, <clears throat> don't, don't, that did not, not want it just happened lately. lately. Someone didn't want to forgive because they're like, well, my husband's going to get off easy if I forgive them. them. I said, no, no it isn't. Well, but, 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 but you're, you're making, making it like, hit what, what he did wasn't, wasn't really that bad. bad. No, no, I am not. Because for you to forgive, you have to acknowledge all the offenses, all the harm, all those things against you. To, to really, really forgive, forgive that, that person. person. And, and so, so it does not minimize the sin. Forgiveness is not necessarily dependent on confession or repentance. There can be confession and repentance in forgiveness. That's not our subject this morning. Nor any specific response on the behalf of the offender. That means they acknowledge that you've forgiven them. It is unilateral. Forgiveness is a choice. My last point here, we'll go back to that one again. But forgiveness is a choice that I make. It is never easy, and it's never natural, and it's never just, oh, oh, it just happens. Forgiveness doesn't just happen. 
any more than your car just happens to start itself, put itself in gear and go and drive itself. That doesn't happen either. Forgiveness is a choice that I make to do. And there may not be, the person may never admit that they wronged you or harmed you. They may never confess it to you. They may never even have the opportunity. They may, they might have passed away. They may have moved away. They may have, you may not even have a clue as to where that person is. But you still need to forgive. Remember where we started? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It's forgiveness from the heart. It doesn't have to do with the other person. And if the other person never acknowledges that you've forgiven them, you still need to forgive them. If they never admit that anything happened, you still need to forgive. There are other passages that talk about what if the person repents and confesses. But that's not our subject this morning. Unforgiveness, on the other hand, leaves us under the control of, and notice what I underlined, negative past. We grant considerable, and I'm telling you overwhelming, control or power over our lives to the one who has wronged us if we do not forgive. Here's how that works. Did you ever notice that anything that you need to forgive somebody about is something that's already history, and it was always something negative? Think, Think about, about this. this. The, the Word, Word of God tells us to forget the things that lie behind, and we are to go with the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus right? We're, We're to pursue, pursue that. that. Well, guess, guess what unforgiveness does? First, First of all, it makes you an unforgiving person, person which in itself is an, an affront to God because he said, I've already forgiven everything, and that's where Matthew chapter 18 comes in. But it is the negative past. So somebody has wronged you in the past, it's very negative, and now that wrong from the past continues right up to the present and into the future to control my life and have power over my life. I'm telling you, you want to know who's an un... Just an miserable person, an unforgiving person. Because you're living a miserable life when you're unforgiving. It will control you. A person that sometimes the person just becomes almost immobilized because of the negative past. Some people rant and rave and curse and swear and go into rages. Because, because they, they haven't, haven't forgiven. forgiven. Some people just try to numb the whole situation by drinking and drugs and entertainment and sex and you name whatever so that they just don't have to think about it. But guess what? In all cases, your life is being controlled by the negative past. I've told people in my office and they normally get mad at me. I said, I said, if you, you don't, don't forgive them, them you become, become just, just like them. them. What, what do you mean? That, what, what they did to me was despicable. It was horrible. There, there is no way I could be like them. them. I despise what they have done. done. So, but, but when you, you don't forgive, forgive you, you have just allowed that negative past thing that they did to you to control your life. And now you're an unforgiving person. You are indeed being controlled by them and becoming like them. Hard-hearted and don't care. Unforgiving. Wow. Forgiveness. 
This is the end result of forgiveness. Forgiveness brings an inner peace of heart and the freedom of not having our lives defined by the offenses which we have suffered. The truth of the matter is, forgiveness is toward the other person. We cancel the debt. We choose not to have ill will or anger or vengeance toward them. But what does it do for us? It gives us freedom. Freedom to be able to do what God would have us to do. It gives us an inner peace because we know at that point we are living out the gospel. We're living out the life of Jesus Christ. We're living out what God has done for us. I've illustrated this way. You could probably illustrate lots of different ways. But if you were went 100 years ago down to Georgia, you would see chain gangs. There would, there would be a 50-pound ball of steel with a chain to somebody's ankle. Now, I have to tell you, they, they could go anywhere they wanted. Think, Think about that. that. You could. You, you pick, pick up, up that crazy, big, heavy ball, and you, you could lug it with you everywhere you went. You went. You'd, you'd have, have it yanking on your, your, your ankle, and you could, you'd, you'd have one hand just, or maybe both hands, but you could get around. But you would be hindered in everything you do. And that's exactly what unforgiveness does. But when you forgive, here's what happens. The negative past, the ball and chain, are cut off. Because when you forgive, that person no longer holds you in bondage. The negative past is no longer controlling your present and your future. And then you can live in the freedom and the peace that God has given you. So you can be all you can be in Christ. Otherwise, your spiritual life is greatly, greatly hindered by what someone else did. You could go, but I don't like that. And you are the only person that has the means to get rid of it. You're the one with the hacksaw. Because you can forgive. And then you can have the freedom to be what God wants you to be. This is the last one. Forgiveness is always an act of faith. That's where we started. Because we forgive because God has made it possible. We love because he first loved us, right? And we can forgive, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, we can forgive because we first experienced forgiveness in our lives. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, know what forgiveness, forgiveness looks like unless I had been forgiven a huge debt by God. Again, Again Matthew chapter 18, where we're going. It is rooted in love. You say, are you sure about that? The answer is I'm absolutely sure because 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says this. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It's a forgiving kind of life. Because, because I am not an accountant. I do not keep account of what somebody did to me in the past. When it happened, we're not denying that. Because to forgive, you have to admit that it actually happened. It's not something that you dreamed up somewhere. It actually happened. It was horrible. It was life-altering. It was an offense. But as an act of love, because Christ has loved me, I am to be not only a forgiving kind of person, but I am to be a loving kind of person. 
It's an act of faith. It's a choice that I make. I said before, it doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't just happen. One last thing. It's based on Christ's forgiveness. Notice, it's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Do your best. Do whatever you can do. And grit your teeth and just get through it. No, it's based on what Christ has done. Always. Never never varies. Doesn't matter if it's a small offense or a big offense. Sometimes what somebody else thinks is a small offense is a big offense to you. And sometimes it's the vice versa. Doesn't matter. If someone has wronged you, we need to make a choice based on love, based on what Christ has done for us. As we come to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21... You'll find that the context is in that chapter is that Jesus said, you should not be a stumbling block to those who are young and innocent. He goes on to say, when sin happens, you have to confront the other person. And there's a process that goes in there. Uh, that's not our subject this morning. That's a different sermon. And then it comes to the passage we're going to look at, where Peter... Pats himself on the back, back, almost breaks his arm doing it. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't get it. And then the next chapter, right after that, it talks about marriage. Now, I have a feeling because usually when I deal with uh, forgiveness, a lot of times it has to do with a marriage problem. Sometimes it has to do with abuse from the past. Sometimes it has to do with money. But, you know, a lot of times it comes out in a marriage. And two, two people who are supposed to be living together, together loving each other, and helping each other are simply at war. Because both, one or both, are unforgiving. But as we already started, and I already said from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is not an accountant. Jesus teaches us that we are not to keep score. So Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21... We're going to uh, uh, just kind of read, read through this, this make some comments, comments as we go. We, we tend to keep score. Jesus says, don't do it. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, Jesus once before in Luke chapter 17 had said, if your brother comes to you seven times in one day and says, forgive me, I repent, forgive me, forgive him seven times. So Jesus had already said that. But that was with the person coming to you. This doesn't say anything about that at this moment. It says, how often? How often shall my brother sin and I forgive it? Seven times? Now, you have to understand, Peter really did think he was, he was Mr. Super Spiritual. Because the rabbis of his day said, you need to forgive somebody three times. If a brother sins against you in a day, you need to forgive him three times. Fourth time, he's out. It was the original three strikes and you're out program. That's what the religious leaders of their day taught. Peter, Peter goes, hey, this, this is double that. that. Look, Look at, at me. me. I'm, I'm super spiritual. I'm not, I'm not just religious. I'm super spiritual. I'm super, I'm super religious. religious. He, he thought that was really good. But Jesus said, whoa, you got, you got it wrong. wrong. He, didn't he didn't say, oh, Peter, that's uh, the wrong direction. But he, but he just, just said to him, in verse 22, Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. An innumerable number. You can't be an accountant with this arithmetic. This accounting system, it's just beyond it. I figured it out one time. If you have an annoying coworker that irritates you all the time, that means in an eight-hour day you have to forgive him once a minute. If you have a spouse who irritates you or does you wrong, and you're awake together for 16 hours a day, that's you need to forgive your spouse every two minutes. Now, that's not the point. The point is, this is beyond keeping track of the numbers. That's what Jesus is saying. Remember I said earlier, we are to be a forgiving kind of person. That's the point that Jesus is making with this story that's coming up. In, in fact, fact is, um, we, we look, look at, at the story, and he, he said in verse 23, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So here's the king, and he does indeed in this parable represent God. He is the king. He owns the slave. He is the one that's the master. He's the Lord of this slave, and he is going to settle accounts. As he is doing that in this parable, then they began to settle them. There was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I'm going to do something that I probably shouldn't have done. I'm not going to take my coat off, but give you a chart here that's way too much information. But here's how this works. By the, By the way, you don't, don't want to know how much time I spent trying to get this together, and I still made mistakes. I, I needed a mathematician to do this, and I looked it up a whole, a, a whole bunch of different places to make sure I got it right. One talent of silver equals approximately 75 pounds. That would equal 8,515 days wages. One denarius, according to the New Testament, is the... Normal wage for an unskilled laborer. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 20, verse 2. And it weighs approximately 4 grams of silver. That was a day's wages, as I mentioned. So, 1 pound would have in it 114 denarii. If you want to know what that would look like, it's approximately the same size as an American nickel. It would be a little bit smaller. Uh, they weighed five grams, uh, and silver is heavier than the pot metal they put in today. You know, So it would be a little bit smaller than a dime. That's about what it looked like. But there's 114 of them in one pound. If you have 75 pounds, which is one talent, that would be equals... Um, uh, to, to the 8,515 days. days. Now, if, if you figure, and I just did this not arbitrarily, but, but if you worked 280 days a year back then, and I went back and looked at some of my sermons of how many uh, holidays and feast days and all those things they had, that would be about 280 days a year. That would equal about 30 years or a lifetime's worth of wages. So a talent would be what you would earn in a whole lifetime. That's what it comes down to. 75 pounds worth of silver. Now, that's not. It would be one lifetime. So in one lifetime, you could pay off this debt. But that's not what it is. He says 10,000 talents, which is 300,000 days wages or 10,000 lifetimes. 
So you, so you understand, understand that this slave didn't run, run his credit card up or run up, run up a, a tab against his future wages with the boss. He, he must have been embezzling. Now, now remember, this, this king, king represents God. Infinite wealth. The, the king, the, the Lord here, was, was somebody that was very rich. rich. This, this guy got, got his hand in the till and he was taking it. He's, He's in big trouble. trouble. No, no way, no way, no way, no way, and no way could he ever pay it off no matter what he did. 10,000 lifetimes. So, so what do you do? do? Well, <clears throat> it, goes it goes on, on to say that uh, he began to beg. This, this is what he says, verse 25. But, but since, since he did not have, have the means to repay... His, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all he had and repayment be made. Now, you've got to understand, this is an unpayable debt to be paid by something that doesn't even pay one day's interest on that money. A slave was worth at most about 30 shekels of silver, which is just a pittance compared to what he's worth. But in other words, he was totally in debt, totally unable to pay the debt, and he was totally in bondage to the debt that he owed. And nothing he could do would make a difference. Verse 26. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have Patience with me. Give, Give me some, some time. Extend your, your mercy, your, your grace. Pity me. Have, have patience with me. Be long-suffering toward me. Long-tempered. Don't, don't, don't go, go there. there. And, and I'll repay you everything. Well, well the, the truth of the matter is, no, no matter what happened, he couldn't repay. And the, and the Lord, Lord, the king, king God himself, himself, felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. The, the word forgive, he canceled it. Didn't hold the grudge against him. No personal will will. All that definition. He forgave it. It's canceled. It's gone. So how much does the slave owe the king at this moment? How much does the slave owe? Absolutely Zero. The, the debt is paid. paid. That's true forgiveness. That's exactly what you're supposed to see from there. In fact, is uh, I'll bring this up in a different sermon. But if you're writing anything down, write somewhere in the margin. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Because this slave was doing... Partly what the Old Testament said. There it says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion, pity, mercy. Now, he didn't forsake this, and that's the rest of the story. He only did part of it. He admitted. He didn't say, oh, But King, I don't owe you any money. He just begged. He knew he owed, so he acknowledged the offense for what it was. He didn't minimize it a bit. And he did confess it. He didn't conceal it any longer. 
In fact, it is on our case in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is where we need to go if we're the one that has wronged somebody else. In this case, we've all wronged God, and we need His salvation first and foremost, and then we also need to confess individual sins. But the king now sets him free. He has no more debt. This guy went from ripping off the king to basically no debt whatsoever. Bankruptcy proceedings are totally done. He has a totally clean record. You'd say, wow, this guy ought to be a truly changed person. He ought to be a forgiving kind of person at this point. Verse 28. But, and any time you see that in your Bible, or you see it in a conversation with somebody, be aware, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. What's a denarii worth? One day's wages. That's it. So he owes them approximately one third of a year. That's like you ran your credit card up at Christmas time, and now you have to pay it off. So if you go on a budget and you're really careful, you can get it paid off in the next year or so. Okay? So it's a doable kind of thing. So here's a guy who now owed him about a third of a year's wages. He goes out and finds this guy. And he forgives him. Not even close. Look what it says at the end of verse 28. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. Can you imagine this? If you're like me, I'm going inside. I want to ring this guy's neck. But he is taking, going right from the king who's forgiven him an unpayable debt to somebody that, hey, if we work out some terms of agreement for repayment, he could do. And he starts choking him. Wow. wow. You, you say, this, this guy's a hypocrite. hypocrite. You're absolutely right. But guess what? I'm going to tell you, if you've trusted Christ and you know the forgiveness of God and you don't forgive somebody else, guess who you are? Woo! That's a pretty strong statement. I stand by it. Because guess what? If you've known the forgiveness of God, who are you not to forgive somebody else? Because remember, the debt we have against Christ is unpayable. We, we could, could never reimburse him for all the wrong and sin that we have done. This is a payable debt. Verse 29. So slave number two. Notice the same verbiage. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay. Guess what? Slave number one had just said exactly the same thing to the king. For a debt that he knew he could never pay. Here's, here's a guy who can actually repay the debt, and he says exactly the same thing. And I do not believe that's a mistake in what Christ has revealed to us and his parable. Parable. Because he's saying what has been true for you, Needs, needs to be true for anyone that wrongs you. It's identical. Verse 30. And he was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. 
I've got to tell you, they didn't make license plates in prison in those days. You didn't have a part-time job where you got a few cents an hour and, you know, in years and years you could pay back. No. When you get thrown in jail, you're in jail. No way of earning any kind of a wage. So guess what? The way never to get paid back is to do what slave number one did to slave number two. Throw him in prison. Because guess what? There is no way... This, this guy, guy can never pay him back. back. If he, as long as he's in debtor's, debtor's prison, prison, he can't, can't pay, pay back. back. <sighs> so, so where do we, we go? go? Well, I'm not going to use that one. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhi, but he said this, and he was right. He says the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. I would like to say it a different way. Somebody who is not living for the Lord can never really forgive. Because we need to be living for the Lord to have the power to forgive. Somebody who is spiritually immature, it's not in their power, really, to forgive. Somebody who is spiritually mature, spiritually strong, they are the ones that have the power to forgive. This, this man, man was, was obviously, obviously absolutely, absolutely disobedient, disobedient infantile, because, because he didn't get it at all. Totally, totally a hypocrite. But, but we, we are surely accountable for our treatment toward other people. Look, Look what happened in verse 31. So, his fellow sla- so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. They, they were, were pained in distress. They're, They're going, hold it a second. This guy got off scot-free, and he was a real shyster. And now he's turning around and acting this way? You have to understand, they had nothing in it. But they are really tore up on the inside. They're extremely distressed. It's, it's actually paining them and grieving them on the inside that this guy can act that way. And so what did they do? They went back and reported what had happened to the king, to the Lord. So here's the story. So he calls in slave number one, verse 32, and summoning him, his Lord said to him, you, and notice the harsh word used here. You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy, pity, on your fellow slave? Now notice this. Even as I had mercy on you. I pitied you. I forgave you. Shouldn't have you gone and done likewise? I already, I already told, told you that Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, says almost the same thing as Ephesians 4.32. But it says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Pass it on. Love, pass it on. Forgiveness, pass it on. The, the gospel, gospel pass, pass it on. on. In, In other words, words that's, that's what God, God asks us, us to do. One, one beggar who has found a source of bread, we pass that on to the next person. person. That's, that's what, what we should do. do. 
In this case, he didn't do that. Verse 34 says, And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. I have to tell you, these next two verses haunted me for years until I finally heard somebody speak and, and it started to make some sense and I did some research and found out. I used to put prison and torturers together. They're two different things. Prison is you just put locked away, nothing happens. But torture, torturers is something more than that. We don't, we don't actually, actually know what, what they are, but, but we know from the next verse what it means. And, and without the next verse, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because I've got to ask you a question. question. How, How much did slave number one owe to the king at this point? point? Zero. Zero. Okay? okay? If, if you, you get that wrong, this doesn't make any sense. sense. The, the debt has been forgiven. When Christ, when God forgives us, he doesn't put it back on our account somewhere in the future. But, but what, what he, he will, will do is allow us to be tortured. tortured. I have to tell you, the most miserable people in the world are unforgiving people. It affects their lives in every possible way, in every relationship, in every step of their life, in every circumstance that they find themselves in because they are a changed person. They're an unforgiving kind of person. And, and they, they are, are indeed a tortured soul. Vengeance and all kinds of grudges and all of those things uh, just, just keep, keep coming back in their minds. minds. And they're miserable until a very specific time. You see, handing them over to the torturers is putting them over to his own devices. So you want to live like an unforgiving person? You're going to get exactly what you wanted. So hang on. How do I know I'm right about that? Look at the last verse. Because God makes it clear the way we treat others is the way... The way God treats us is the way we treat others. Notice what it says. This is the God-given explanation for handing over to the torturers. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. You see, God will turn us over to be an unforgiving type person. A miserable wretch of a person. A person who never can get their life together. A person who may rant and rave. A person who may crawl up in a corner somewhere. A life that's not the kind of life I would want to live. A tortured life. So notice, he doesn't say, okay, now you owe me back the debt. He just says, until you are a forgiving kind of person, until you forgive those that have wronged you, you're going to be a tortured soul. You're going to be a miserable person. I'm not making that up. That's what this says. But the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of Christians who are miserable. And the bottom line is, they have violated what they know to be true. They have not forgiven as God has forgiven them. I don't know where this hits you this morning. But I guarantee you, there are people here that it hits somewhere or the other. It might hit you in multiple directions. I challenge you, we're out of time, but I challenge you, to go back and read this over again and ask God to show you who you need to forgive. 
How many balls and chains do you need to cut off? How many places do you need peace of mind and freedom? How many people do you need to treat by way of forgiveness the way God has treated you? Let's all stand together as close in prayer. Father, this is obviously serious business because it affects all of us in one way or the other. Lord, I pray that you would not allow us, and you've already promised you wouldn't do that. If we're unforgiving, don't allow us to rest. Allow us to be miserable, miserable, tortured souls until we're willing to forgive. Without that, we can never live in the freedom. We can never live in the peace, the love, and the forgiveness in the total sense that you've provided for us. Lord, I pray that you'll convict, you'll challenge, and you'll help us to put into practice forgiveness. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.